So I think I think what I learned was failing is fine. Um, it's it's just part of the process, and you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding. Is one of the you know, one of the cliches, and then, and I think it's really true. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife, where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. When you think about your retirement, what does it look like? Do you have a vision for what you want? Do you want to stop work completely and maybe travel or finally write that book? Maybe spend time with grandkids or learn how to paint. Maybe garden. I don't know. Maybe you just want to keep working and never retire. Or maybe keep working but put in fewer hours so you can have a little more time for relaxation or adventure. You know, retirement looks quite different now than it did 30 years ago. You know what I mean. People are living longer. People are generally healthier. I want to get real for a minute. Well, actually, I always try to be real with you, but I'm going to go somewhere difficult right now. I am not ready for retirement. Not to bring down the party, but I'm 53, and frankly, I haven't saved enough money to retire. And in that, I know that I'm not alone. But here's the thing. I don't want to retire. Not in the traditional sense of it. I want to keep working. The thing is, I want to keep working as long as I'm doing work that I love. If I can keep doing work I love, I want to do it right up until I kick the bucket. And yes, I also want to travel and have more time for relaxation and adventures. So the journey I'm on right now is looking at where I go from here. I love being a photographer, but frankly, I don't see myself doing photography when I'm in my 70s or 80s. So what might I do? That's why I do this podcast. I'm using this podcast as a personal exploration of what's possible as we age, with the hope that it also keeps you engaged in thinking about what's possible for you. Also, and this is very important, I recognize that I may not have a choice about when I retire. By that, I mean it's possible I may end up with some sort of health condition that keeps me from working, and frankly, that's what scares me. So you know what I do? I exercise almost every day, and I try to eat healthy food and keep my brain agile. I figure the effort I put into staying healthy is better than any insurance plan. And still, I know that despite my best efforts, in the end, stuff happens. So the other thing I do is take care of my mental health. I meditate every day because for me, it helps me deal with stress and anxiety. You know, the worries about stuff happening. I guess what I'm getting at is that I'm doing my best to live a life that I've designed very much on purpose. And I believe we can all do that. If we take the time to listen to our heart and visualize what we want and take daily action towards our desires, we can get much closer to those desires than if we just put our heads down and survive each day, you know, putting out one fire and then moving on to the next. My guest today has me thinking in new ways about what retirement can look like. Richard Haydick is a former life sciences executive and a mentor, and, and now 
In retirement, he has a very active retirement. He's immersed in challenging the boundaries of his own retirement while observing the experiences and areas of curiosity of his fellow retirees. You see, at age seven, he was sure he wanted to be an author. And now, 66 years later, that dream has become a reality. He has written a book called Shifting Gears, 50 Baby Boomers Share Their Meaningful Journeys in Retirement. It's full of really cool stories. The inspiration for the book came from hearing about the meaningful journeys in retirement that were being taken by his friends and colleagues. And they were doing fascinating activities at this stage of their life and often in completely new directions from their prior careers. And the idea that these stories could become a book became a driving force for Richard. I can't wait for you to meet him. Um, okay, so without further ado, here's Richard Hayduck. Let's go. Richard, thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, I'm delighted to join you. I, you look like you've done some really interesting podcasts, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. I am too. I am too. I, and you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, this podcast off with your favorite opening question for <laughs> your interviews that you did in your book, which is, how would you describe this stage in your life? Uh, you know, nobody's asked me that question, and I've asked probably 75 people that question, so that's interesting. <laughs> um, I would describe this stage of life as uh, joyful, freedom, lots of freedom, um, and far more sense of purpose than I ever imagined, and far more sense of purpose than I've ever had. Uh, the combination of things that I'm doing I, I have just really been meaningful to me. And here's here's the, the fun part. In a surprising way, I had no idea it was going to be this cool. <laughs> nice. Oh, so, so a pleasant surprise. Yes. Yes. Ah, I love that. I love that. Well, I mean, so I'm going to back up a little bit um, just to, to say that, that you're retired. Well, I'm going to put retired in air quotes for you because- yes you're a busy guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you're doing a lot. Um, and, uh, but you don't have to do it for the money, right? You're do right. at this point, the activities that you've taken on are, 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 are driven from what you want, from what you desire. Exactly. exactly. How perfect is that? Yeah. Um, um, and I think, I think for people at this stage of life, uh, there's kind of two things that have to be in place for that to work. Um, the one is health. Um, you know, some people get to this age and they've got some infirmity or some chronic disease and, and it just changes. You can still have a great retirement with, with that situation, but it's going to be different and you're going to have to modify for it. Um, and the other one I use is the word wealth. And I don't mean wealthy. I mean, just having enough to, to, to get by and to be comfortable and to be able to do things where money is not the object. Um, uh, and in some of the people that I interviewed, they did work, they got paid for it, but they weren't there for the money. They were there for something else that was part of that, a part of that working environment. Um, yeah, yeah, that's just everything that I could hope for as I, as I get older. I mean, you know, I had, I had a revelation as I was approaching the age of 50. I'm, I'm almost 53, the end of July. And um, as I was approaching 50, 
I had a little uh, revelation that I needed to change some habits. I needed to change my thinking and uh, went on a, on a journey to do that, um, set up a morning routine for myself, listened to a lot of podcasts and uh, read some self-help books and the whole thing. Um, and what I realized is, is once I did that for myself, once I, I started feeling better, uh, I did start changing the way I was thinking. And, and really what came from it was this sense of hopefulness about the next 30 years where, um, first of all, the changes that I made, I'm healthier now than I was all through my forties. Um, and feeling better and having that hope made me start thinking about the next 30 years with, with a sense of excitement and, oh, what might I be able to do? If I stay yes. healthy, yes, right, yes. That, 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 that very important thing is if I stay healthy. Um, and, and then too, I, I, I'll sit and think, what if I'm not healthy? What if, what if something goes wrong? Can I still think about having a purposeful existence or some, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, one of my favorite stories in the book is a lady who dealt with her health, um, she's a very gritty lady, very tough, very determined. Um, she had four leg surgeries over three years, two hip replacements, two knee replacements. She was on a cane that whole time. And at the end of it, she said, I got all new parts. I can get myself into shape. I want to do something really big and, and really challenging. And so she talked her boyfriend into climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa which is a 19,000 foot mountain. Uh, you start at sea level, you climb for six days. I, it's just a grueling kind of thing. And while she was training, her, her girlfriends, of course, said, Donna, you're crazy. You couldn't have done that in your 20s. Why are you doing that now? And she says, you don't understand. I've got to do this. This is important to me. I've been dealing with bad health. I've now got a chance to do something really challenging and I'm going to go off and do it. And if I don't make it, that's okay. But I want to take on this challenge to myself personally and to my health. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just an amazing lady to talk to as she described why this was important to her. So, so she's yeah. an example of, she didn't let her health get in the way. Um, in fact, she's really, I think, a role model. You know, if you got a little ache or pain and you say, well, I can't go out for a walk today. Well, wait a minute. Donna climbed Mount Kilimanjaro <laughs> after four leg surgeries. You can take a walk around the block with the dog. Right, um, right. It really is about the commitment to, to what you want and uh, the willingness to take on the crazy. I think. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, yes, you got to listen to that voice. If that voice won't leave you alone, if you feel compelled, even if it seems crazy to you and other people, I'm saying go for it. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. One of the things I ask people when they're in their retirement is, is there anything that you've thought about that your friends and family have said, you're crazy. You can't do that. I, I said, and if you haven't had that experience, why not? Aren't there things that you've always wanted to do and had a reluctance to do? Um, you've got the freedom now. You can choose to do that now in a way that you never could. Um, yeah. and, and some of the people in the book, of course, they came on with some really crazy ideas and, and went off and did them. 
uh, sometimes succeeded and sometimes failed, but always tried. Yeah. And it really, it's the trying that's, the, I mean, you know, it's cliche, right? It's the journey, you know, but it right, really yeah. is. It really yeah. is the journey. It's who you become in the doing of the thing or the, you know, the effort to do the thing, I think. Um, you know, your, your book has inspired me to reconsider my ideas about retirement, Richard, I have to tell you. Um, first of all, I love the structure of it. I, I was, um, you know, looking through it and, you know, you, you, first you talk about location, like how do you, how do you determine where you want to go? I, I really loved the RV life section. Yes, my husband yes. and I have RV, RV dreams. Um, didn't never knew about RV caravans. Uh, you know, the whole idea of buying a spot to put it and keep it and, and go, go pick it up from there. That was like, Oh, so interesting. Um, the, you've got another section on choosing to work, which I love that. Um, leisure activities, of course, the whole section on giving back and having purpose. And that couple that was teaching meditation to prisoners was, you know, yeah. Um, and then the whole idea at the end of that inner inward resilience and, uh, and how do you, how do you deal with things when, when they do go wrong? Right. right, right. Um, but I, well, let's, let's go I've back been to that. saying, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say that where to live question, um, I, I, I thought it was a fascinating one. I don't know if I told you this, but we've just recently moved to a place called Pacific Grove in California. Mm-hmm. And um, we had lived in the same place for 18 years. We loved it there. We had a lot of great friends there. Um, and then we decided to move here. And one of my friends asked me, did you move to Pacific Grove as a result of writing your book? And I said, Ron, what are you talking about? And then I thought, no, I know what he's talking about. I opened my mind to an idea that had always been in the back of my mind to move near, to live near the ocean and to live in a different kind of community, have a different kind of lifestyle. Um, and the book and the interviews and the people who were venturing out caused me subconsciously, subconsciously, not in a conscious way, but subconsciously to say, why not? Let's go do it. And we've made this move. We've now been here about two weeks. And it was one of the great decisions of our life. And we just are really excited about this next stage. And I think the book made me do it. You know, I think think that seeing so many people saying, why not? If that sounds crazy, why not? Richard, that's why I do this podcast. I, I do believe that stories can change lives because you, 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 you know, there's a, there's a thing that they say about, you know, hearing this, hearing a story, even if it's, even if it's fiction, you connect emotionally to that story and that person and it, and it, and it changes you, you know? Well, I think that I, I agree with what you've said for um, a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people about how do they prepare for retirement? How do they learn about retirement? And some people learn by getting a checklist. They read a book and they say, here are the nine steps of doing this. And they go one and they check. Number two, they check. Other people, and I think you and I are probably in this category, learn by seeing somebody else doing something cool. Mm -hmm. Somebody does something um, that you don't copy. You don't do it exactly, but it causes you to think about things in a different way. Um, and, and one of the consequences of the book, uh, you know, I've heard this from a number of the readers is I look at my life in a different way because of that story about X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Um, 
um, one of one of the really um, most purposeful stories in the book is the one you had mentioned about um, the couple who are retired and teach anger management in a maximum security prison. Um, and it's as tough a volunteer gig as you can imagine. Yeah. And they get a lot of pushback. They get a lot of people kind of screaming at them and saying, get out of here. I don't want to listen to you. Um, and they say, calm down. I'll be back next week and we'll talk again. Um, you know, that kind of purpose in your life is, is I don't think a lot of people are going to volunteer to work in a maximum security prison after reading the book, but they may challenge themselves to say, well, wait, what, what could I do that fits my priorities that challenges me as much as those two people challenge themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to want, I mean, different people are going to want different levels of challenge, right? At, I mean, that's going to be true at any point in life, but yeah. Uh, I, while I admire that thing that they've done, I'm not sure I'm built for it. <laughs> and and the 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 wife of the couple they when they go into the prison they separate um they each go and do different things as part of the program uh, part of it is together and part of it is they're separate and she's a tiny little lady very slight very short mm -hmm. and um she's on her own without an escort in the prison and i said that must terrify you and she said no it, it never really i never really think about it I'm here to help them. Um, I, uh, I think they know that. I don't think anybody's going to hurt me. Nobody's ever hurt a volunteer in the prison. Um, she said, once in a while, I'll look up and see if there's a guard up on the wall looking down on us. And I feel better if there is one. And I feel a little bit twitchy if there's not one there. But mm -hmm. she says, I go on about what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I can't imagine that would work for very many people. I think yeah. most people would be terrified because um, uh, it's, a, it's a very intimidating situation. Yeah. Yeah. Man, crazy. You know what I really want to talk to you about? What, is, what's that? Is, um, well, normally I'm talking to people about like a midlife pivot and, and people that this, first of all, I want to clarify that um, I've found as I've been doing this, that the, the scope of midlife is a wide swath. Uh, like for me, I'm, I'm starting to realize that my mid thirties were the beginning of my midlife journey. And, uh, and I know I've talked to a number of older people who are like, I still feel like I'm midlife in my seventies. Um, and you in your seventies were a first time author. Uh, and, and always, and, and, from what I know, um, I listened to one other podcast that you were on. You wanted to be, you wanted to write books when you were seven, right? Yes. Yes. And then life happened and you lost that thread or, or pushed it away or whatever happened. So I'm curious, what was that process like that whole reinvention of, of, okay, I'm, I'm an, you know. Uh, so um, it is correct that when I was seven, I was writing fiction. Um, I had a little writing pad every day. I'd write another story almost every day for about a year. Um, wow. And then at at seven, about age, that's kind of extraordinary for a seven-year-old. I'm just going to say for a seven-year-old to sit down and have a daily practice of writing. That's, that's, 
Yeah, so the, these were not deep stories. The longest story was a full page. That's okay. Um, no, and they still, were all the habit. Yeah, I, and and I was having fun with it. It was, and I was getting a lot of encouragement from the people around me, parents and teachers and friends, uh -huh. um, and and it was fun. Um, and then it stopped as abruptly as it started, um, and I moved on to riding my bike or being with my buddies or that sort of thing. Um, and then 65 years later, I had an opportunity to pick up that thread again. Um, I've always been a, 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 I read a lot of books. I'm a, a real fan of a very large variety of, of types of books. Um, but about 65 years after I stopped my short story writing, I was with one of my buddies and uh, who, who is retired. And he said, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I was in the Senior Olympics. And I said, Dave, you were in the Senior Olympics? And I didn't know that. And he said, yeah. He said, I, and it, it was really great, but I was always kind of humble about telling the story. I didn't really want to tell people. And then I said, well, tell me, tell me what the story was. And he went on to describe a really an amazing experience. And he ended up getting two medals, uh, which was wow. a complete surprise to him. Um, and then just kind of randomly, I so that kind of raised my antenna a little bit. So when I would be with people, I'd say, you know, tell me about something in this stage of your life that's kind of surprising. And over the next few weeks, Great I had question. two more. Yeah, Great two, two, yeah, two more experiences that were kind of like, I thought I knew this person, um, but they're doing something as part of their retirement. Um, and it, it kind of crept up on me. I, the story sounded like they needed to be told. Um, I looked at my own situation and I said, you know, I've been retired for a while. I've enjoyed it. I've got a set of perspectives. Um, I've got the time to do this. Um, and I kind of said, why not? It's a, it, was a, it was a bold idea. Some people told me I was crazy. You can't start writing a book when you're 72. Um, but I said, well, what's the downside? Why not? Um, and, and I, uh, Yvonne, I kind of said, but wait a minute, I'm, I'm in a retirement stage. A couple of things have to happen for me to really get immersed in this. Um, and the first one was probably the most important, which was I got to enjoy it. If it, mm -hmm. it, if it gets to be a drag at that point, I stop and there's no, there's no, penalty for stopping. You don't get a slap on the wrist if you don't finish a book. Um, but if you start a book and you're having fun doing it, you keep going. Um, and then the second one was more of a uh, creating something for someone else. I had a feel that the book was accumulating to be useful to people who were thinking through this stage of their life. And as I would interview people, that was like a snowball coming down a, an avalanche. You know, it's just like, wow, that story is cool. Wow, that story is cool. I can't believe that person did that. Um, and so that part uh, uh, turned out to be a, a kind of an easy criteria. Yeah, yeah. And then what was the process like of uh, of getting the book out into the world? I mean, so, you, so you interviewed, how many people did you interview? Because it says here 50 baby boomers share their meaningful journeys in retirement as your as your subtitle so the the book title shifting gears and then 50 baby boomers share their meaningful journeys in retirement so did you interview more than 50 did you select it down from 
from those and choose 50 because it was a nice round number? How did this all come yes. about? So um, I interviewed just over 75 people. Mm -hmm. um, I found them basically from networking. I started with my friends and then every, I would interview them and every interview would end with, and who else should I talk to? Mm -hmm. um, and some of the referrals I got were just to some really amazing people. Um, I, as you had mentioned earlier, one of the questions that I always used was, how would you describe the stage of your life? Um, and then the important thing about that question was that I would shut up and listen. I had a tape recorder running, um, but I would not interrupt them. I would not, uh, unless there was something I just completely didn't understand. Um, and then when they'd pause, I'd ask a question that would be kind of, I don't know if you know Terry Gross, but she's oh, masterful yeah. at this. Huh. And, and she'll best. say, oh, why is that? Oh, tell me more. Oh, what were you thinking? Um, and so with a three or four word question, the person then launches into a next level of detail. Um, and sometimes it was in that second, third or fourth level of detail that the real passion and the meaning and the purpose came out instead of just a description of, I went down to the store and I bought a loaf of bread. It was, I went to the store, I bought a loaf of bread. And the reason I did that was because I've always done this. And, you know, so, so that, that questioning style that I absolutely copied from Terry Gross served very well to get people to open up as, as she does. I'm, I'm no Terry Gross, but I can copy what she does and do kind of an approximation of it. Um, but here's the, here's the other consequence of that. At the end of the interviews, I had transcripts of all the interviews. I had 800 pages of transcripts um, of people telling just fascinating stories and lots of them. Some of the people told me like four or five different things. Mm -hmm. And so now I had to do this heartbreaking process oh. of saying, what do I cut? Um, I pretty quickly concluded I wasn't going to write an 800 page book. Mm -hmm. I pretty quickly concluded that some of this that was in the transcript was just people rambling, you know, that it, it didn't, it didn't connect. You couldn't put it into a written document. It was fine as a conversation, but not as a written document. So I had to go through and kind of sort down what were the stories that were interesting in a range of things. Um, I didn't want it to be a book of masterful accomplishments like climbing Kilimanjaro. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be a cross-section of some things that were, you know, achievable by anyone. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one, of the, one of the great favorite stories was seeing the joy of a lady and her girlfriends who formed a ukulele group. And they all learned to play the ukulele together. Um, and they, they said, it's really simple. You only have to learn four chords and you can play most songs. So they once a month do a sing along and all that. And pretty soon they were on stage. They were actually doing public performances. Um, and it was just, you know, it wasn't climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, but it was too. And for them, it was, it was really, it was cool. It was fun. It was, they had the freedom to do that because it was important to them. So long rambling answer of how do you get from 800 pages down to a reasonable size book is you wash out the duplicates, things that sound similar, mm -hmm. those disappear. 
things that um, had a uniqueness stayed in. Uh, in a couple of cases, um, someone told me four or five stories and I might leave two of them in. Um, but mostly it was kind of one, one, one story per person uh, and then grouped into the sections that you had talked about before. Yeah, which I love. I love the structure that you chose for it. It's um, it's an, it it does make it a little bit of a guidebook, you know, uh, the way you've structured but, it. But not a how-to. It's it's how to copy someone else rather than a checklist. Uh, right, right. Um, and that was, to, uh, it's it kind of seems like things to think about, things yes. to consider. These are these are some buckets where you might and and it also I love that you've got the table of contents at the beginning so that if you want to revisit something and go, oh, where was that idea? You know, and you can go back and look to it and, and, and dive in deeper, which, which was really cool. I, I, I have to wonder too, what, what did you learn about yourself in the process of, of doing this? Well, I learned that it was okay to go buy a new house and, and move after living one place for 18 years. Um, <laughs> That's I, a big I think, one. Yeah, that was a big one. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think I learned that the freedom to fail is a bigger part of this stage of life. Um, when I was working, I would do things where I would take a chance and, and have some career risk or whatever. Um, but I wouldn't try something that I thought probably wouldn't work just to see how it would go. You know, when you're working, you've got a set of boundaries that keep you from trial and error as aggressively as in retirement. Um, so I think, I think what I learned was failing is fine. Um, it's, it's just part of the process. And you learn more from failing than you do from succeeding is one of the, you know, one of the cliches. And, it, and it, I think it's really true. So, so trying certain things. Um, I think the other thing I learned, uh, it's not too early to start thinking about this. I wish I had started thinking about it in my 50s. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I had put my toe into a lot of different water to get a sense of what those next years were going to be like. Um, one, of the, one of the guys that I interviewed was looking for a volunteer opportunity. And in fairly, and he, he said, I can't really describe what I want. I can't really have someone describe it to me. I have to do the volunteer job and then decide if it fits. Um, and in fairly quick succession, he went through four different ones. Mm. Um, and he says he tried it, and then he it sounded like it was going to be good. And then he says, "Oh, but I didn't like that part." Um, and then he'd try another one, and, he, and on his fourth one, he says, "I nailed it. Now I've got exactly the volunteer work that fits with the rest of my life, that fits with my priorities, fits with my values, um, and he's happy as he can be with it." And he said, "I could stop those that weren't working in a way that I couldn't when I when I had a job." When you have a job, you have certain obligations. When you're retired, you don't have those obligations. You mm. can say, "This isn't any fun. This isn't a, uh, this isn't accomplishing anything for me. I'm moving on. I'm going to do something else." Uh, yeah. So, so all of those are kind of a, a a bunch of different things that I think have influenced me from hearing about it from others. The other thing that I've been wondering about for you is, and and again, I heard it on on this other podcast that you were on is you're on your bike a lot. Right. Yes. Yes. 
So you're staying active. I've always had kind of a commitment to fitness. Um, But when I was working, I couldn't, I couldn't live up to it. I I couldn't do enough. I I guess I could have, but I wasn't able to put an an activity of daily living approach to exercise because some days I was traveling, some days I had other commitments. Um, And so on the weekends I would exercise and that was helpful, but but in retirement, um, can I carve out two hours for a bike ride uh, during the day? Um, last week, I, I did four different bike rides. Um, when I was working, the number of weeks where I did four bike rides was was unusual. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was on vacation, perhaps, but not while I was working. Um, so I think um, physical exercise is something I enjoy and I think it's important and I think it, it's, it's good for my longevity. Um, and now that we've moved to the ocean, we've just started kayaking. Um, and I, I think you'll identify with that because of, because of your interest there, but, um, and that's going to be another great way to exercise. And I, I really think we will, take a hike or go for a bike ride or go kayaking or do something physical every day. Um, and, and, and that's going to be an important component of the multitasking activities of this stage of life. Yeah. So going back to the book, you know, you were a writer at the age of seven and did you do any writing at all in between I, well, I do writing for the for the business work that I would do. I, right. You know, let's call it boring writing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, writing, um, uh, you know, letters to people, business plans, that kind of stuff, but not creative writing. Yeah, your career um, was in the life sciences, right? It was in life sciences, and the last twelve years of that, I was working with startup uh, uh, biotech CEOs, um, helping them to kind of deal with the various challenges of early stage uh, biotechs. Um, mm-hmm. but, but the writing part, well, first of all, I cheated on the writing part. If, if you think about this a little bit, I wasn't writing, I was recording and editing. Um, so okay. I did the I transition. Get I, get I, I did yeah, the transition yeah. words, uh-huh. but you know, somebody said, Oh, how could you write that many words? I said, I didn't, I transcribed them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I almost completely took the words exactly as they were transcribed. Once in a while I had to put linkers in between uh, things just to, to give some continuity. And I do a short intro to each story. But mostly those were their exact words. Um, um, and you can see it sometimes because you can you can you can feel the person talking yeah. in a conversational way, not in the way that you would write that sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, the, one of the one of the neat stories I thought was the guy who was running his 19th marathon um, and uh, it was in a hot and humid day in Hawaii. And he was just fading. He it was just the hardest physical thing he's ever done. Yeah. Um, and his his way of describing that, you could feel his gasping for air. You could, you you know, an English teacher wouldn't look at those sentences and say, "Oh, that's the way you'd write that sentence." You, you but you would say, "I can picture this guy running this marathon." Yeah. Um, and then just one other corollary to that. 
when we did the audio book, uh, a guy named Bruce Kramer is the uh, talent on that. And when he got that um, marathon story, he, he made it just spectacularly vivid. Oh, I'd love to hear you know? it. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. 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 He, he uh, really captured it. Are you familiar with um, Studs Terkel's uh, Working, the book Working? Yes. <laughs> um, Is it see. behind you there? So, when I, when, <laughs> I so Studs Terkel, that's one of the favorite books of my life. Um, uh, working. Wow. Yeah. And when I started this process, I said, Studs Terkel did for working people what I'm going to try to do for people in the retirement stage of their life. Mm -hmm. And he captured candid conversations. He got people to open up to him. And he he just, I don't know if he, he was probably too far back to even have a tape recorder, but he did a transcript of their, of their uh, things. So Yvonne, what I did, I had the book uh, working, sitting on the shelf behind me. And I would uh, do two or three interviews and then go read a chapter of Studs Terkel. Uh, um, uh, and then there you go. Wow. when I was editing the same, <laughs> it's, it's great that you spotted that because it's, it's unusual that people kind of spot the connection because Studs Terkel's from a long time ago. He was in yeah. the seventies. It's sitting on my bookshelf over there. <laughs> Is it really? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that a great book? Uh, I mean, yeah. and the, the style that he did. Um, so the, those were my two role models, Terry Gross for interviewing and Studs Terkel. The, the Terry Gross thing, um, I've always been an admirer of her. And I was driving to one of my interviews and had her show on. And and this was actually was one of my very first interviews, might have even been my first. And I was listening and I thought, wow, why can't I do that? Um, why can't I ask questions the way she does? And then I kind of said to myself, well, you can just do it, try it and, and refine it over time and do it in your own way. Right. But um, I, that really made a difference in, in, in the way this book turned out was her ability to question. And then Studs Terkel, the ability to kind of keep a cross section and have um, no kind of um, no boundaries on the types of people that you want to include in the book. Um, um, and, and in working, as, as you'll recall, there's all sorts of people doing all sorts of things with all sorts of passions and motivations around it. And he just captures it. Um, yeah. And the vernacular and, of, of their speech, that's what made me think of it when you were talking about you know, the different hearing different people's voices and how you're, you're, you're like recording it, 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 and it's landing, it's landing on the paper and it is in the vernacular of the person. It's how there's, it's how they speak. It's yes, not yes. crafted and molded into, you know, something other than what it was. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons I'm really excited that we've just launched the audio book. Cause I think Bruce does a great job of, of the, shifting himself into each of the characters yeah. um, and and he's obviously got the same voice but he he adjusts his voice he adjusts his pace he adjusts his uh, use of vernacular and and uh, he's particularly good at kind of accents and that kind of stuff he must have um, had fun doing it just as a former actor I'm sure he he must have had a, a good time doing that well he, he had, he's done a few books but they've all been kind of historic and academic and 
he's also in kind of this retirement stage of life. And he said, he made a decision that he wanted to do a, 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 a more diverse set of, of, of books on tape uh, or audiobooks. And so I come in one morning and I open up my email and from a complete stranger, I have an audition tape. And, and I thought, this guy's crazy. You know, I get so much spam every day. There's no way this could be anything other than a waste of his time. And he just spent a long time reading several chapters of the book back to me. That's fascinating. Um, Had you put out any kind of a call for? No, no, oh, no. This was just he he approached He, he had no idea if I was interested in an audio book. He was a complete stranger. And he sends me an email that looked like it could be spam. And I called him up and I said, Okay, you got through to me. I, that audition was terrific. I, I opened it. I listened to it. I wasn't sure if it was going to be something that contaminates my computer or not. Right. But I took a chance on it. Right. Um, and I said, but Bruce, this has got to be a, a horribly low percentage game where you do 20 audition tapes to get somebody to just even open it. And he said, no, you don't understand. I'm now one for one. <laughs> I, I picked your book because I thought it would be a great one to do. Nice. I, I put my heart and soul into the audition tape. I sent it to you and you called and now we're going to do this deal. Oh, I'm one for one. What a uh, great story. What a great story. I'm so glad he did it. And um, I still think it's astonishing that uh, it got through because I, I we, you probably the same situation every morning you come in, there's so much junk in your email mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and mostly you just click delete, delete, delete. And I got to that one and I thought, well, maybe not. I'll open it. And then once I opened it, I was hooked. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Amazing. You, you know what I love about that is that he made a decision and he, he went for it. I love that. I love, I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. It worked out. Yeah. It worked out because it tends to, when we make decisions, and we, we put, put a little bit of time into it. Yeah. You might, it's, it's not a hundred percent. You're not going to go one for one like that all the time, but, but, you know, and what did he have to lose in doing that? He, all he was going to get was the experience of being able to read your book the way he wanted to and put it in front of you. And, and that was all going to be to his good because the next time he does something, he has had that experience where he did that. He made those choices and now iterate and change and pick it, you know? So what, what it did, cost him nothing. It, it was all to his gain. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing is he now has a book that he's done that showcases his talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you read, you listen to the first one, you say, oh, that, that was really well done. And then the second one's completely different. Um, and, and he's in a different character and a different tone. And I just, um, I, he, he can use this book as a demo of his skills. Um, yeah. So, but, but you're right. He had nothing to lose. He put a couple of hours into his studio to, to do the, the audition tape. Uh, we had a couple of conversations and then we reached agreement to go forward. Um, yeah. Um, and I'm so, I'm so glad that, that he took that initiative. Um, yeah. I mean, and the same thing for you, the same thing goes for you. You, you've got this book that you've put out into the world, right? And right. you self-published and here right. you are, you've, you've launched and, um, the book came out. What was it? What, when was the, when was the actual publishing date? When, when did it hit? So on November 17th, the book uh, came out. In um, the middle of COVID. And so, right. And so now yes. here you are, um, 
trying to get the book out into the world to launch your baby out there, right? And yes, you're doing yes. a bunch of podcast interviews. And um, what has that experience been like for you to figure out soup to nuts? Okay, I'm going to, I have this idea. I'm going to get in touch with all these people. Now I'm going to edit. Now I'm going to get the publishing done. Now I'm going to promote it. That's a, that is a huge arc. That is a, a massive investment of time. But has it been, what's that done for you? Just the process of it, I have to ask. The ground rules for me uh, allowed me a certain flexibility. So I wanted to do this not to make a living, but to have some fun and to help some people uh, deal with their retirement dilemmas. Mm -hmm. um, the, the way in which the book publishing industry works as I now perceive it, is completely different than what I imagined it to be. Um, publishers are in an enormous amount of stress. Um, Amazon has changed the whole world. Once I got into that process of approaching publishers, um, they have a set, of, a set of ways of operating that they've been forced into. Um, that were not consistent with, with what I wanted. And um, it starts out by, you know, you send them the book and they say, they send you a, a, an auto reply that says, uh, we might read your book. And if we do, and we like it, we'll contact you, uh, please allow 10 weeks. Uh, and if you don't hear from us, that's a no. And I said, I, you know, I can't operate like that. I can't, I can't be in a business that way. Um, First of all, I don't want to take 10 weeks to find out. Um, and second, you know, I like to talk to people and have some interaction with them and all that. I don't want an auto reply as my relationship. Mm. And some of them were different than that. Some of them were better than that. Um, but they're really driven by books by Michelle Obama that are going to sell a zillion books and put them on the map. Um, mm -hmm. And first-time authors, uh, they get a ton of of people approaching them. And so they've got to be very efficient at spotting them. Um, and that efficiency becomes almost an enemy for them because they miss a lot of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I just said, I, I, that's not a game I want to play. I, I got into it. I started into it. I, it turns out they were about as interested in me as I was in them. <laughs> Nobody kind of went just stumbling all over them and says, I got to have it. This is a book we want to publish. I just didn't get that from anybody. Even when I was able to get face-to-face -face -to -face meetings, they'd say, you don't understand. I get a thousand of those a day. Um, and, I said, and, 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 and you are not Michelle Obama. I said, well, I was pretty sure about that going in. Um, <laughs> um, so, so they've got a set of constraints that didn't really fit with this being something I would enjoy doing. Um, it's also things that I was able to do in a matter of months. They take a couple of years to do. And I just didn't want to wait that long. Um, so that was kind of a learning curve to me. It was, I was able to find some support organizations that would take on certain functions for me, take on certain roles in getting this published and distributed. Um, and there's a ton of those kind of organizations that are helping on a fee basis for first-time authors. Um, so that was all kind of a learning curve. Um, I kept kind of asking myself, how can a business operate in this way? 
and and then I came back to Amazon has forced them to become more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, well, you know, how would you help me with X, Y, or Z? How would you help me with promotion as an example? And they say, well, we would encourage you to do the promotion. I said, well, wait a minute. What do you do? They said, we just distribute. We just publish the book. We will edit. We'll do some of the edit, but we would encourage you to have your own independent editor because our people are really busy. Um, and so I just kept having these kind of like, mm. really, is it, is you're running a business that way? Um, and this isn't a criticism because I think if I were them, I'd probably feel forced to do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you know? it makes sense. It's that it's the economy that, that they're forced into. Right. Yeah. 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 And the same thing, you know, with social media, I, I think there's um, I think most first time authors feel that they have to have a social media presence. Um, I, I believe that from the start and I've kind of lived, lived with that and enjoyed it, learned a lot about, uh, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn particularly. Um, and it's a numbers game. I mean, you, you put something out and maybe several thousand people will see it. And then some very small percentage of those actually click on a link. And mm-hmm. some very small percentage of those who click on a link actually buy a book or contact me with a question or whatever. So you got this giant wide funnel. One of the I hadn't been very involved in social media before, except in a very superficial way. And, and the more I learn about it, the more I say it's a set of rules and a set of behaviors that are not what I intuitively would have thought. Um, and so learning to do that's been fun and it's, it's been, it's, it's had its challenges, but it's been a big part of the, the marketing of the book. Yeah. So great. I love, I love that you've been so, you know, you've had the whole swath of experience soup to nuts. I mean, you had a career, you had skills from that career and now you're, you're diving into like, okay, now I'm a published author and these are the things a published author does. And it's a whole new set of definitions and, and right. Amazing. Yvonne, let me, let me tell you a story, uh, which has just been uh, really important uh, to me uh, as part of the promotion. Um, around Christmas time, I was talking with my daughter and son-in-law, and because of COVID, I, we've had a great relationship with, with, with their kids, and, uh, 12 and 14-year-old grandsons. Uh, we do a lot of stuff together with them and all that. But of course, in COVID, we were not able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so we'd have these Zoom calls and everybody'd be smiley and nice and maybe maybe even have some fun. But after a while, it was just getting like, how much can you do on Zoom? So the discussion we had was, what could we do with the boys that would get us engaged again on a regular basis and something that would be good for them uh, and be fun, but reestablish the connection, uh, re, you know, kind of strengthen it again. Um, and we came up with the idea broadly, well, let's do a project together. Let's do a project that they could learn something. Um, and anyway, it's through, through a, a couple of iterations, we came to the idea that they could be startup CEOs of their own book promotion company. Um, so our Christmas present to them 
was to give them the seed money to start a company. And the seed money was a hundred bucks. It wasn't. <laughs> and, and what they do is they run Amazon ads for the book um, and they get a piece of the action for the books that get, that get uh, noticed and sold. And um, it's, I, I don't know how, how much you know about digital marketing. I knew almost nothing, uh, but Amazon has this really complex set of, of interlinked algorithms where you have to write an ad, you have to target it to a demographic, you have to pick keywords, you have to put in a bid for it, you have to decide how that ad is placed in the thing. Anyway, there's about, there's eight different variables wow. and it's all digital marketing. And you get feedback the next day on what you did, whether it worked or not. Um, so anyway, they each have a startup company. They each are doing book promotion of my book. And we have a week, we have a weekly call where we go through, how are we doing? What's working? What's not? Um, and the older boy is 14. He said, you know, I'm learning digital marketing. He said, I'm ahead of my pack now. There's nobody else oh. in my school who, who knows how to do this. Oh, that's just a tremendous thing. And you guys have a connection. You have a touch point every week. Yes. I mean, it's genius on so many levels. I love that. Oh, and, and it's been so much fun. And the most fun, of course, was reconnecting. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I would say the skills development for them has been, and the entrepreneurship, um, and, and <laughs> surprising to me and to them, uh, they very quickly became profitable. Um, they were spending money on ads, but they were getting results. Um, the, the biggest month uh, in the history of the paperback uh, was last month. Um, and it's clearly because of their efforts. Uh, that is tremendous. And are they public, are they promoting other books besides yours or just yours? Uh, just mine at this point. The yeah. younger one is 12 and he's had some discussions about taking on another book. Um, but <laughs> oh my gosh, I love uh, it. I love it. Uh, but then, and, and then um, NPR's um, uh, uh, Next Avenue picked up the story and wrote it. And then, uh, and it was, it, it was, they really did uh, a nice job of promoting the story. And, and then Forbes saw it and they picked it up. So now these guys in, at age 12 and 14 have a story about them in Forbes magazine. And I, th I thought, man, you, I've got your resume half written from yeah. after you graduate from college. Oh, my God. Um, what a great college essay. They've got they've got their college essay. Right. I mean, but beyond that, beyond that, the experience of doing it, I'm just completely blown away. And I'm thinking, too, about we all have these ideas around aging that aging is slowing down, aging is becoming invisible and, and all that. And here you are giving them evidence of the opposite. And their idea about themselves as they age is essentially changed because of the example that you've been for them. Well, that's, thank you for that, that comment. I, I think that's very insightful. I, I, I think... The grandsons and I have had a great relationship and this has taken it to a new level um, mm. and doing it without being face-to-face. -face, I just, I would not have imagined that this would work this well. I got all well. teary. I got all teary. <laughs> ah, woof, I'm verklempt. Um, And on that note, it's been just a, a complete delight and everything to talk to you. I have enjoyed this. Thank you so much. 
Well, well, thank you, Yvonne. This has been great fun. It's been delightful for me as well. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Well, there you have it. I hope this conversation with Richard has sparked something in you. I'm always inspired by seeing what's possible through other people's stories. And I highly recommend the book if you want to shake things up a little bit and start thinking about your later years. Whether you want to retire or keep working, I believe it's important to have a vision for where you're going and start working towards it. You know, even if you're on the younger side and still have many years until you retire, I think you have a huge opportunity to improve your life now by thinking about what you want later. You might not want to wait until retirement to do the things that you imagine doing then. Think of it like a retirement investment plan. And instead of money, you're investing in yourself, in your self-development, in your dreams and well-being, regardless of your financial situation. The actions you take don't have to be perfect, and they can be small steps. Consistency is the key. Do a little something every day and know that you can always course correct as you go. You might head down one path and realize that's not quite it. But I contend that taking action will give you confidence as you go and create momentum. Go for it. It's never too late. So if you want to know more about Richard or check out the book, you'll find everything you need to know in the show notes. You can just go to latebloomerliving.com forward slash podcast and look for episode 69. Thank you so much, by the way, to everyone who's taken the time to leave a review or rating for the show. I am so touched by all the sweet comments that people have left in the reviews. It truly inspires me to keep going. And if you haven't had a chance to leave a review, please take a quick minute to do that so we can help get the podcast out to more people. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.